it's that time of the year when Oxfam comes with its famous annual report, which is presented quite fittingly on day one of Davos, or World Economic Forum, where the richest people in the world gather, the richest, the most influential, and when I say the most influential now, then that includes not just people on the right or people who represent the rich or people who are rich, but also activists, NGOs, anti-wealth anti organizations, poverty organizations, etc., etc. They are all there. Anti-corruption organizations, Transparency International's chief is there, Oxfam Top Shots are there, other foundations. So, World Economic Forum that Klaus Schwab has now expanded, it's become such a large tent that it also accommodates most of its critics as well. So they are there as much as the multi-billionaires of the world who fly in, in their private jets, they are also there. They can fly in their private jets and talk about climate change in a virtue signaling manner. But similarly, similarly, all these activist organizations also sup with the richest in the world so they can also maybe show the mirror to the richest of the world. So it is there that Oxfam also comes up with its global inequality report to make the rich feel guilty if such a thing is possible. If the rich felt guilty about wealth, they want to be rich to begin with. Like it or not, that's a fact. Second, if it intends to get the poor to hate the rich, you don't have to try very hard. The poor would hate the rich. Who likes inequality, particularly if you are at the lower end of it? And also to get the middle classes, upper middle classes or the, or the professional classes all riled up. Like, look, so and so and Ambani, Adani, they have so much money. How are they smarter than me? I'm so much smarter. I'm. My mom told me I'm much nicer looking also, etc, etc. So why do they have so much money? So envy is something which is easy to drive. So we focus for, for the purpose of this Cut the Clutter, this episode of Cut the Clutter, more on what, what the report, what the Oxfam report says about India. And we've spoken about this in the past. I think it was 2018, very early on. That was episode 83 in 2019. And you know what? It's a coincidence, I promise you, that I was in that episode wearing the same shirt and the same sweater as well because the report is released on the first day of Davos and Davos is customarily held in January in the winter. Now, what does this report on India say? Because the headline is the same, survival of the richest. Now, Oxfam makes no pretense about not being anti-rich. They actively, ideologically, philosophically, morally. And this is their honest proposition because they are not hiding it. One thing they are not is hypocrites in this sense. They want to reduce the share of the wealthiest in global wealth, in global wealth and the wealth of the nations. They are not so focused on getting it to the poor because nobody knows that if you take wealth from the rich, you can take it to the poor. Second, what do you take from the rich by way of wealth? Because if you start taking it, how much of that wealth will remain? We'll discuss that in a minute. We had done that in some bit of detail in 2019 as well. So I'll share that link also with you. You can take a look at that. But basically, what are they trying to do? When they say survival of the richest, they say, one, the usual story. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, particularly in India in this case. This is a supplementary report on India, right? It's a 20 plus page report on India, 
quite a detailed report with lots of graphics, etc., etc. I will also share a link of this report with you. And I'll also share a link of their entire report for the world also with you. So you can see all of those at leisure if you so wish. But if you look at the India report, they say survival of the richest, the India stories, of course, they note, they note the fact that India still has the largest number of the poor in the world. India will have the largest number of everything in the world. India is now heading to be the largest population in the world. By the way, as we talk today, China reported for the first time in its history for more than 60 years a decline in population, an annual decline in population. Why did they have annual declines or some declines 60 years back? Why did we say the first ever decline in population? Because 60 years back is when Mao was doing his shenanigans, his great leap forward and other nonsense that was killing crores and crores of Chinese. Never mind that even after that, a lot of our compatriots, particularly in the state of West Bengal, shouted slogans like China's chairman, our chairman. Thank God. And that's why we have so many gods and goddesses. Thank God. No one like Mao ever took power in India despite our poverty and problems. But if you read this Oxfam agenda, this takes you somewhere there. Because if you were to implement it, you will need a Mao in India. Or maybe you need a Mao plus Kim Jong-un plus somebody, plus somebody, plus somebody. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. The best thing about this Oxfam report says that nobody takes them seriously and nobody follows up on them. Nobody makes any policy quoting them. The worst thing about them is that a lot of the news media, which sees easy headlines, oh, 1% of Indians own 40% of India's wealth, right? They don't ask what wealth is. What do you mean by wealth? The bottom half of India's people, that is the poorest half of India's people pay 63.4% of India's GST. You don't stop and ask. This does not pass the test of logic and reasonableness, right? This is the line I use often. Never switch off your bullshit detector. That's the line I use in the newsroom, but that's a line everybody should use. But at the same time, these headlines are made because these are easy headlines. And Oxfam's purpose is, purpose is served because what they are doing is headline hunting. Again, this is a bad thing. The good thing is this is forgotten by next day. Also, it becomes then fuel for opposition parties. Whoever is in the opposition on the day when this report comes out, which at this point is Congress and the others, BJP is in power. So, so they all get their tweets to write and their statements to make. So what is this report saying? This report is saying that, look, the bottom 50% of Indians own only 3% of India's wealth. The top 30% own 90% of India's wealth and of these 30% also, top 10%, right? Top 10% out of these 30% own more than 80% of India's wealth. Mark the expression I'm using wealth because in a while I will explain to you what Oxfam and others mean by wealth. And also I will tell you a very ironical point that Oxfam defines wealth exactly the same way as Forbes magazine defines wealth. And in fact, in one of the report documents that I'm quoting from, Oxfam actually says that and defends that practice, that they get their wealth data from Forbes. What is Forbes magazine's tagline? Tagline is what a brand uses as a description for what it stands for, right? So Forbes magazine's tagline is the capitalist tool. If you know Malcolm Forbes, founders of Forbes magazine and the Forbes organization, they fly a private aircraft 
with the words emblazoned on their aircraft capitalist tool right so you have this revolutionary organization oxfam picking up forbes magazine's definition of wealth and giving us all gyan based on that now what are they saying bottom 50% of indians own 3% of india's wealth top 30% own 90% of this also top 10% out of this 30% own more than 80% of india's wealth then they say wealthiest 10% of india own 72% of india's wealth what they go on to do is they further dice this data and say the top 1% of indians own 40.6% of india's total wealth once again wealth that is the important that is the important thing as i was reading it i also read up something else because you know i found that this report had a lot of granular data on india's taxation and it said for example that government of india modi government reduced corporate taxes 2 years ago their idea was to bring in more investment also to encourage more people to set up new industry because tax rates were even lower for new industry they said as a result of that corporate taxation has gone down and corporate taxations share of the national tax kitty has gone down indirect taxes have gone up indirect taxes are paid irrespective of your your income because you pay taxes on whatever you consume so poor also consume food milk meat chicken dals etc etc they pay gst on that just as the rich pay gst on that and similarly fuel is consumed by all so everybody pays taxes on fuel as well now when i saw the data it sort of jumped out at me because one of the data points i saw there that said because they have a big recommendation about not just tweaking gst but but completely rewriting gst because rahul gandhi sees tweet based on this oxfam report he again called it gabarsing tax his logic is that this tax is helping the rich hurting the poor oxfam says something similar but even more radically their solutions are even more radical in fact if i interpret them sort of a little bit liberally they would be like have people pay gst according to their income or raise gst rates on what is defined as luxury item a lot more thereby lies a tricky little fact but i will come to that in just a bit now when i was reading this when i was reading this i noticed that they also said some really incredible things they said for example the bottom 50% of india's population or india's population says 140 crores bottom 50% is 70 crores so they said bottom 50% of india's people spend 6.7% of their income on select food and non food item 6.7% of their income whereas the middle 40% spend only 3.3% and top 10% spend only 0.4% now that the richer you are the less the tax you have paid as a percentage of your income it is not as if the absolute amount of tax you are paying is lower absolute amount of tax you are paying can be much higher but at the lower end somebody could be earning 20000 rupees a month or 10000 rupees a month right 10000 rupees a month 6.7% of that which is 670 rupees you pay towards select food and non food items but it's only 670 rupees it hurts you because it's 6.7% of your overall income at the same time somebody who's earning a crore of rupees right somebody who's earning a crore of rupees is paying 0.4% now 0.4% of a crore of rupees is 40000 rupees so the person individually is paying several 
tens of times more tax than the person at the lower end, but it's a lower percentage of their income, which is perfectly reasonable. What moral point is made out of this? I don't know, but I'm not the one to whom that question should be asked. I think this is nonsensical. The whole argument is nonsensical. That's my view. So I must qualify that. That's my opinion. You can toss it or you can accept it. It's up to you. But I don't see how this percentage of tax paid, indirect tax paid, as a percentage of anybody's income is of any logic. Unless it is to make the point that the poor are having to pay too much tax for their essential goods. Now, when I looked at it from that point of view, I thought that maybe, maybe Oxfam has a point here. So let's check some data. But before I could check the data, so this morning when I was scrolling through all the information on Oxfam report, I was just basically hitting Oxfam and searching. I found a bunch of tweets, a Twitter, a tweet thread from Diva Jain. Please check out her handle, Diva Jain 2. She's written a thread. I will not read the entire thread to you, but I will read maybe a couple because these make so much sense. And when I read those tweets, they sounded too good to be true from my point of view because I'm an Oxfam skeptic. I must make that very clear. So what I did was I read her tweets and then I checked the data myself. I checked the report and I checked the data and I did the quiet mental math as well and then also math on my phone calculator and it's very simple and this tells you this tells you a fact that that will be the conclusion of this part of this cut the clutter it will be a tough fact tough conclusion for us journalists so she says in her first tweet it seems likely that they will be a hullabaloo over oxfam's reported claim that bottom 50 percent of india pay 64.3 percent of gst a cursory analysis of oxfam's and she's writing this atrociously researched report reveals clever wordplay and accounting shenanigans that will make a goldman banker blush right and then she says first examine the above claim mathematically oxfam says that the bottom 50 percent of indians pay 6.7 percent of their income as gst that's what i was talking to you about just now it is being reported that this translates to 64.3% of all GST revenue, something Oxfam also highlights as indicative inference. Please see the chart on your screen as well. This is from the Oxfam report. If you see this chart and then you make calculations, if your mental math is good, I'm sure everybody's mental math is better than mine. You can figure it out yourself or you can take out a calculator and pick it up from there. Now, if there's average monthly GST revenue in 2000 in financial year 2022 was 1,23,000 crores or say, say 1,23,500 something crores. If you take that, then 64.3% of that and also Diva Jen points this out, that is 79,465 crores. That is, if that is equal to 6. 7% of the total monthly income of the bottom 50% of Indians, then, then if you know basic arithmetic, you can easily calculate the average income of the bottom 50% of the Indian people population. If you do that calculation, so then you, how do you do the multiplication? Total population of India, 140 crores. So you take 79,465 crores, that is 64.3% of all of India's GST collection monthly average collection and divided by 6.7 and divided by 70. So what do you get? You get a monthly income of 16,943 for 50% of Indians at the lower level. That means the 50% of the poorest Indians 
get an average monthly income of 16,943. Now multiply that by 12 and you know what the annual income is. So annual income of the poorest 50% Indians then is 2,3322 in the last 50%. You might think, all right, it's not that's not very rich. These are poor people. These are, these are poorer Indians. But there is a problem there. And problem there is, and I've checked out these calculations. I've done these calculations myself, not just mentally. You can't trust my mental calculations. But I've done it on a calculator. And these calculations that Deva made are right. The absurdity lies in the fact that Indian GDP, per capita GDP, at current prices is 1,72,903. So overall, 140 crore Indians per capita GDP is 1,72,913. So you would logically believe that people in the higher 50%, in the, in the higher income half of the, of the Indian population, will have much more than this. In this case, by this calculation, for people in the lower half of Indian income levels, lower 50% have a per capita income of 2,3,000, while the average GDP per capita GDP of India's entire population is 1,72,900. How can this happen? How can the poorest 50% have an average income level higher then the total populations, which includes the 50 of the richer half. This is simply illogical. But the fact is, a lot of these reports are written with one presumption in mind. They are written with one objective of getting the headlines. Headlines are done by journalists. And these reports are written with the presumption that journalists, one, will not look at any data. Because journalists, one, they see an easy headline, particularly when it comes to knocking the rich. They are quite happy to dump their skepticism or maybe they believe that us journalists, math is so poor that we will not figure it out. And that's why if you, if you just go and Google Oxfam report India, you will find headline after headline after headline quoting these projections made by Oxfam without anybody having checked out the data. Because if you apply the test of data, you know what this report is. It is farcical. Now, also, when you further look at this data on how the bottom 50% pay 64.3% of India's GST or 6.7% of their incomes on GST, on selected items, what are these items? First of all, all this data has been picked by Oxfam from the 2011-12 NSSO survey, National Sample Survey Organization, which must be dated. But nevertheless, what are the items they've picked up? Just think, think for a moment. Pulses, milk, cereals, edible oil, meat, fine. Dry fruits, the bottom 50% of Indians spend a lot of money on dry fruits. Maybe they do. Now, if somebody could say, give them cake if they don't have bread, right? Then you can also say, the poor buy dry fruits. So, dry fruits are included. Beverages, packaged, processed foods. So, I don't know how many packaged, processed foods the poor buy or how much money they spend on it. Then, washing powder, fridge motorcycle scooter right this is the bottom 50 percent of india fridge motorcycle scooter mobile phone pan and tobacco pan and tobacco why should you plead for lower tax and pan and tobacco i don't know and then then this adds ac air conditioner cooler washing machine laptop jewelry and ornaments now again 
how logical that is i leave to you but even if the poor buy some of these things how often would they buy an air conditioner or a cooler or a laptop or a motorcycle etc etc so the base is distorted and now it does look ugly when oxfam says that because modi government reduced corporate tax rates corporate tax collections have come down they did come down in the first year and that was followed by the pandemic year but our economy editor tca sharad raghavan he's now pulled out data for me that tells us that in 2020-21 corporate tax had grown very little 0.84% which was disappointing but that was also the pandemic year next year it drew 24.12% 24.12% is not at all bad of course it was on top of a bad economic year of the lockdown year 2223 that is this year it's estimated to be 9.6% growth so it's not as if corporate tax has gone down it's recovered very nicely and very neatly again the share of corporate tax in total tax 2019-20 before the cuts came it was 27.7% 2020-21 it became 22.6% so it came down because of the cuts oxfam's right 2021-22 it became 25.2% so it's begun to rise while india's indirect taxes are also rising 2022-23 it's back to the old level which is 26%, 26% plus the budget will come out and we will see the final figure. So once again, you can pick up a fact selectively and use one year as a reference and extrapolate it for the next three years without bothering for the fact that the next three years data is available and that data is telling you a different story. And also I kept on telling you that please underline the word I'm using again and again, wealth. There is a difference between wealth and income. So Mukesh Ambani can have a wealth of so many billions of dollars, so many trillions of dollars, whatever. But that is not Mukesh Ambani's income or Gautam Adani's income. The income is maybe whatever salary they are paid in a year, whatever they earn on dividends or whatever they might earn on their other investments or whatever capital gains they might earn on any shares they may have sold their own companies or other companies or any other assets they have sold, they might, might have sold. That is income. Wealth is not income. If somebody inherited a house from their grandparents, right, that house may have been worth 1 crore rupees 30 years back, it might be today 100 crore rupees. So your wealth then is a 100 crores, but your income will be the rent you might earn on that house. That is the distinction these reports do not make. So what they do is, they get the wealth calculation made by Forbes magazine, which is all your, all your stocks and shares, all your unrealized capital gains. And what they are recommending in their report is that tax everything. So tax income at a much higher level. In fact, in their global report, they are saying tax income at something like 75% for the richest and for others average of at least 60%. By the way, in India, the top tax level is already 43.6% and you don't even have to be particularly rich for that. Just over 10 lakhs and you pay that kind of tax. Now, these, these guys want you to pay 60% and if you're really rich, then 75%, then they want wealth tax. Wealth tax on whatever wealth you have right now, at some point your wealth will be valued. Just pay 2.5% of that or 2% of that and if you do that, then you can solve all of India's problems. Now, what happens? Suppose you go and value Mukesh Ambani's wealth or Gautam Adani's wealth and say, 
हेलो अंकल आपका तो इतना वेल्थ है ना तो टू परसेंट हमको दे दो राइट मुकेश अंबानी और गौतम अडानी डज नॉट हैव टू परसेंट इक्विवेलेंट ऑफ देयर वेल्थ सिटिंग इन देयर बैंक अकाउंट सो वॉट विल दे डू दे गो एंड सेल देयर शेयर्स दे सेल देयर शेयर्स टू रियलाइज दैट मनी टू पे यू टू परसेंट ऑफ देयर वेल्थ नाउ इफ दे हैव टू सेल इन नंबर ऑफ देयर शेयर्स दैट विल दैट विल अकाउंट फॉर टू परसेंट ऑफ द वैल्यू ऑफ देयर वेल्थ नाउ टू पे एज टैक्स that oxfam now demands word will spread that mukesh ambani is selling his stock gautam adani is selling his stock gautam adani is selling his shares because he has to pay tax can you imagine mukesh ambani is selling his shares because he has to pay tax the moment that happens there will be so many shares in the market that the share price will collapse share price will collapse and what wealth they have will also collapse and what wealth all their other shareholders have will also collapse this idea or ideas like this i don't know how to describe them the best way to describe them is to use rude expressions which are not advisable on a family channel but you know look at the initials b and s bs you know what that stands for or something that vidya balan made us familiar with in that film ishkia i will not use the first part of that word but the second part seems kosher enough that is sulfate because that is what is being made out of all of us and then that's why you have to question all of us in the media everybody almost who's picked up these easy headlines because because easy headlines are nice now before i let you go in this report there is a quote from jean jacques rousseau rousseau as you know was a philosopher french philosopher also somebody who provided intellectual fuel for the french revolution so the quote used by oxfam goes when the people have nothing more to eat they will eat the rich and then the report goes on goes on to say sentiment behind eat the rich resonates in the case of india now i checked out a little bit more on rousseau and the french revolution and my colleague priyanjali mitra she pulled out this line from the british library intro to the social contract social contract by rousseau and the line is and this is the british library's intro their introduction to the social social contract by rousseau they say rousseau's theories of sovereignty and law had a direct influence on french revolutionaries and were blamed for some of the worst excesses of the terror reign of terror some of the worst excesses of the terror terror is with the capital t for reign of terror some of the worst excesses of the terror in france now i am not surprised that oxfam is quoting it i went down to the footnote for this eat the rich citation this footnote the citation is actually to an article by clear rich clear rich from a publication called the vanderbilt hustler when i clicked on that link this is an article by a first year college student no no problem with a first year college student but in this article it's a five para article she's only explaining why she starting to call her new column eat the rich so in conclusion you can say that while the while the intention of the pretense is to make a great moral and intellectual flourish this is nothing but one more ideologically driven exercise never mind the facts with the presumption that media will lap it up which is exactly what happened now in conclusion what i will do is i will just share with you a chart from this india report on on oxfam that tells you that if you tax ambani and adani at their rates right they list a bunch of multi billionaires in the world but ambani and adani are there and if you can tax them in a certain way tax them not just for their income of course tax them at a high rate for their income but also tax them for their dividends 
and tax them for their unrealized capital gains. That is the tricky thing. Oxfam wants governments to tax people for their unrealized capital gains. You know what will happen as a result? Either people will start selling that if I have to pay tax on unrealized capital gain, then I might as well realize my capital gain and spend that money. Why should I keep that capital gain unrealized? Or people might migrate from one country to the other and tax havens will again have a wonderful time.